Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Amy, you're a lecturer in communications and media at the University of Canberra. Can you tell us a little bit about your connection with defence and military spouses? So I have uh, two main connections. Firstly, I'm actually a uh, Navy partner myself. So my husband's been in the Royal Australian Navy for about seven, eight years. I've lost track. And secondly, I've recently completed a major research project which looked at Australian Defence Force partners and social media. Okay, so what in initially sparked your interest in this area of research? Was it the fact that you were living the life of a defence spouse? What was your key interest? I was looking at uh, kind of an avenue for for research. I was reading some material in a couple of defence publications about spouses' use of social media and how it can be dangerous and how there's risks associated with it, as well as reading the Australian Defence Force social media policy, which has a very risk-focused kind of tone to it. And I thought, wow, that's really different from my experience with social media and how partners use social media to make friends and and build community links and really help themselves get settled in in new areas. And I thought, oh, I think there's more to it uh, than what I'm reading in the current literature. Dug a bit deeper and realised that actually in Australia, we don't do much research about military partners at all. We know considerably more about military uh, partners and military spouses uh, internationally. So what's happening with our friends in Canada and the UK and of course in the USA. But in the Australian space, we actually, we don't have that much research to go on. So that's really where inside kind of that spark to go out there and to do some research and to find out you know what's actually happening in the kind of military spouse space in Australia and specifically what's happening on social media. Okay so why do you think those other countries are across it a bit better than we are? Obviously in the US they have a much larger military and so their military is kind of a bit better funded and they just have more people so it's a bigger issue there. When it comes to Canada and the UK those are two military networks that are very similar to our own. Um, so when we're trying to get attention about Australian military spouses they're two examples we're looking at really closely and trying to build a similar sort of community based on what they might have in those two areas. Unfortunately, I don't have any great answers there. I think we should have more research and more information, but just historically, it hasn't been an area of focus for us. Obviously, because those countries are further ahead, their support services are are better or better tailored because they know more about their spouses and partners? I think they've gotten further along to a point where they realise that it's important to support partners and support partners in ways that they really need to be supported. They think they have a much better understanding of who their military spouse community is made up of and what those people need. And so they do have some better funding for some programs that really target those spouse needs. I'm not trying to be negative about some of the great support options we do have here in Australia, but it's definitely not as visible or perhaps we could do a lot more work in that space. I mean, the key word that you use is need. There might be support services, but are they really what spouses and partners need? One of the big things in my research that I looked at was identity and how do we identify as military spouses and what sort of things are in our life and how do we connect to the defence community in consideration of those things. So thinking through things like, you know, do you have children? And if you do, what are your needs? Or do you not have children? And what are your needs there? And unfortunately, I think our support system is still quite based in a very gendered, very kind of, I've called it a perfect partner. So in this, this idea of a partner who fits into these very neat and tidy boxes and if you fit into 
into those boxes, that's fantastic. You can actually get quite a lot of support. But unfortunately, for the people who don't fit into those boxes, which is quite a number of us, it gets considerably harder. And obviously, the perfect partner was probably how they sort of saw us 20 years ago when they didn't know what they know about us now. And obviously, the more research that's done and the more information that's gathered, the more they know about us and the better they can tailor support and services towards spouses. The perfect partner, I think, is it's a really gendered idea. And I think it comes from a couple of different spaces. I think one of it is definitely portrayed, you know, by the media or by, you know, historical images we have of defence families. Is this idea of this, you know, this civilian woman who uh, is married to a male serving member. We definitely don't have any dual serving members or LGBTI relationships here, which of course is a lie. We know that those um, those types of relationships do exist in the Australian Defence Force and they really do add to our community. And so this, you know, this civilian spouse who definitely has children, um, having children is a key part of being a military spouse in this model and not adult children. We're talking about young infant or school age children. They might work, but, you know, they definitely don't have a career or anything demanding. Cute hobby jobs are fine. But, you know, basically their role is to be supportive of the military member. So, you know, they don't get disappointed when the phone call comes saying, oh, another deployment or, oh, we're moving house again. You know, they're the type of person who picks up and, and just moves on without complaint and is compliant and patient and loving. Now, there's definitely some people like that and definitely at certain points in, you know, your life, you may fit that model. But for many, many other people, that model just doesn't exist. And it's really unhelpful. If you're not the perfect partner, but you feel like everyone else or this, this world is set up for perfect partners, you might not ask for support because you might think, oh, well, everyone else is kind of doing so well and I'm not or I don't fit into those boxes so I can't I can't possibly ask people for support about that. Or, you know, it doesn't tell the wider Australian community about what Australian partners do and what they cope with every day because it just feeds into this idea that everything is great and wonderful and fine. And like you mentioned, the decision to seek support or help with mental health issues is made harder because of this perfect partner that we have in our heads and that is portrayed within the media and within the community, really. When I was looking at identity, one of the other really strong identity profiles came out with something which I ended up calling the suck it up sunshiner. People told me that they felt like that they were told by others and others in the defence community or even others outside. So one of my participants said her mother had this really strong kind of sentiment of, you know, you chose this, you signed up for it. And by choosing into the lifestyle, it negated your right to complain about it so you can't complain or you can't talk about how you're not coping because you know you chose this and this idea that if you can't hack it well you should leave you know and for some people actually that really works so the idea of you know thinking no I chose this and I opted into this lifestyle that's really empowering for some people that actually brings them a lot of strength and that's really great but for other people it really makes them feel really disconnected and and, you know they're worried about asking for help or telling people that they're not coping because they feel like that they'll get told well you should just suck it up so they kind of have to be careful around that sort of language because I, I don't I don't think we can necessarily leave and there are two reasons one is it really a choice to leave someone that you love and you're in a relationship with you know you don't actually want to leave your marriage you're just having problems with this one specific thing and the other part is is defense needs you to not leave you know retention is such a key focus over the coming years just telling families off well if you don't like it then you should leave actually we don't want you to leave <laughs> we want you to stay and continue to build up a fantastic really more defence force. And obviously families breaking up presents a whole raft of issues for then 
the member who may end up staying in, but then has his family or her family moving across the other side of the country to be with their family support networks or, you know, not being able to see children because they're deployed and that connection is lost. Yeah, either way, there's issues. Which one do we nurture? Which is obviously the better scenario is to keep families together and and nurture those families to be able to better support them and help them to stay together and be better connected. Look, I think Defence is really open to thinking about new ways. So they've just brought in something called the Total Workforce Model, which really recognises different ways of working at different points of time. So personally, um, my husband's actually just shifted down to what's called CERCAT 6. So he actually is still in the full-time force. He can still deploy and he does still maintain all of the benefits and all of that sort of stuff. But until the end of the year, he's actually working on a part-time basis. So he took that on so that I could follow personal career goals. And so that's really great. That's a way of him staying in because he can take a temporary part-time position to support me. And then once I'm more established, he can go back to working full-time. So that's a much better option than discharge. And I definitely think it's something that the Defence Force is looking at um, as a way of supporting families in the future. And making it more socially acceptable or acceptable within the workplace for the member to actually take Defence up on those things that exist to make it easier for families and for spouses because, you know, Yes, there's carers leave and yes, there's reduced work hours, but it's the member feeling comfortable to be able to put their hand up and say, I need to access those for the benefit of my family or my spouse. And look, that's a bigger problem Australia-wide. Um, I know it's something Annabelle Crabb of the ABC researchers in quite a lot of depth. It's this idea of the way to women's empowerment in the workforce and in employment is actually having men step up and say and take leave, which is great for them as well. I think as women, you know, we do get fantastic opportunities to leave the workforce for short periods of time and reassess well what do I want to do and be really intentional about coming back in and men don't actually get those opportunities men get lots of other great opportunities that, that I won't dismiss but you know this idea of actually having kind of a bit of flexibility works both ways and it helps everyone so how do you find your participants for your research a couple of ways there so first I was really focused in my research about trying not to talk to people that I already knew I didn't want this to be a research project where I just talked to a bunch of my friends and then said oh look I know things so really specifically reaching out to broaden my perspective. So I did ask people who already used social media if they'd be interested in having a chat. So it was a qualitative research project, which basically means that it's in-depth and I actually talk to people. It's not a survey. And so kind of asked when I was traveling to various areas, if there'd be people who'd be willing to meet up for coffee. And similar to what you do with the podcast is asking questions and just trying to find out, you know, what's your experience and, and how has that experience shaped you? You know, what can we learn about those experiences when we put them together? And who funded the research? Yeah, so the research was funded by an Australian government research grant that wasn't connected with defence. So it was important to me to be able to tell those participants that they could be honest and this research wasn't being skewed or used in any way. Okay, so when you decided to focus in on this area of your research, what were the key areas that you wanted to really dive into and get some more information about? It started off being around um, social media. Now, there are a number of Facebook groups where partners get together and those groups are created, they're peer created, so they're created by other military spouses and lots of people tend to join those groups. Sometimes they're grouped together based on uh, interests 
or uh, posting locations or, you know, particular needs around careers or housing. So my focus was to really look at those kind of Facebook groups and, and discover, you know, why are those groups there? What do people use them for? What are people's experiences in those groups? Um, in the hope it would tell us something about uh, the defence community that we've built and also about where people get support from. Once you started your research, what were some of the key findings that you were seeing come through? Firstly, I realised it's actually not about social media. So I um, had these great plans about, you know, oh, you know, social media is really special, but actually defence partners, they, they want to talk to people and they want to talk to people who are like them. You know, really that sentiment of, you know, you want to be with people who are in the same boat and in the same situation. Similar to like when you become a new mum, you want to join a mum's group because you're sharing that experience and you can sort of get tips and tricks off each other. You feel like you're not alone and you feel like you're doing it with other people and that you've got that support there. Absolutely right. So those social media groups, you know, really provide that need for people to connect with other people like them. And so realising that, you know, social media is great for that. But honestly, if we didn't have social media, we would do it via carrier pigeon if we needed to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not the platform. It's, it's that desire that we have to really connect with other people and to build community. In that, I also found that the defence community is really quite transient and that people tend to dip in and out in times of transition. So if you've just posted to a new location or you've just started a deployment or maybe you have just had a child or you've just left the workforce, people will really turn to the defence community to help them get orientated in a new situation. And then once they're feeling a bit better, they've made some friends, maybe they've re-established a job, then they'll actually tend to withdraw from that defence community again until the next time they need it. Online Facebook and online communities weren't available 15, 20 years years ago, even really 10 years ago. So what people used to do back then was that was when they lived all in the same sort of similar area. So they had the DHA houses and they had like a patch and that was their community because they all lived next door to each other. Whereas that situation has sort of changed. Defence has obviously made it easier for people to own their own home in different locations and um, have spread out DHA housing. So that aspect of community has been taken away, but it's then been replaced with online communities. So I guess that's just moving with the times. And there are some really unique benefits that social media gives us. So you can find people that really fit your situation. You know, Defence has a habit of kind of throwing together partners just based on that one point of similarity is that you're in a relationship with someone in the Australian Defence Force. Great, here's a morning tea, now all of you go and get along. Whereas social media actually allows us to find people based on more individual and more unique points of connection. So I know, for example, there's a Facebook group for people who own horses and, you know, have an interest in horses, but also the struggle of moving horses around the country. So really specific groups that you can use to find other people. And that really helps us, you know, there's a lot of emotional labor in being a military partner. You move locations, you have to set up new doctors, new dentists, new friends, new jobs, and that's exhausting. So social media actually allows us to do that in a way that's quite easy. We can vet people, we can find people of interest, and we can do that quickly and efficiently, which is what we like to do. In that, that was one of the findings of the research is that for us, social media acts as a network. So we kind of use it like a giant phone book. So you might be posted, let's say, to Darwin and you have all these great connections in Darwin. You've built up a life for yourself there. Then you get posted to Brisbane. You still get to maintain those connections with Darwin and you can keep that all on your social media so that you know if you get posted back to Darwin again, there's that community ready to go there for you. 
Have you heard about our Lots of Love Care Packages? An anonymous and free box of self-care goodies that can totally make a military spouse's day. It's a way for friends and family to send an acknowledgement in the mail to a military spouse to let them know they're awesome and the Military Wife Life community has their back. Pop over to the Military Wife Life website after you finish listening to this episode, of course, and sign someone up for the Lots of Love box. And so I read your article, Perfect Partners, and there were so many points that really hit home, especially the fact that there hasn't yet been an ADF report that generated precise information about the number and demographic of families. The ADF family survey has just closed and hopefully the amount of people who took part in it this year has increased and hopefully it continues to increase. But what do you think Defence could do to get better information about families and spouses? So the ADF family survey is one really important kind of bit of research that we do get about ADF partners. And and that is a really critical survey because it's one of the only regular points of data we get about families. But I think there's a couple of really easy other ways. One of them is the Australian Defence Force Census runs every couple of years and they could really easily add some questions to that based around uh, families and and spouses, which there currently is um, some push for people to encourage defence to do so that we can get kind of some better numbers of who's partnered and what kind of partnered relationships they're in. And that just has a flow-on effect for everything else, really. I mean, even coming down to when a ship deploys, just having the data there of what the family makeups are behind those members going to see so you can better tailor support services for the people left behind. I think at the moment we are doing some degree of we're making an informed assumption based on how many members there are in the defence force, what their ages are, and then comparing that to the national average of marriage and relationship rates. Um, whereas it would be much, much better to have some specific information about how people are partnered. You also touched on the fact that defence have an increasing need to retain existing fully trained members and that retaining and recruiting has a direct correlation with support from families and family satisfaction. Can you talk us through that? The Defence Force has some really unique challenges and opportunities that are coming up in the next probably 10 years where they really do need to retain members. Now obviously there's a good number of members who leave the Defence Force when they establish a family and that family need becomes really big. There's some great research there around this idea of greedy institutions and a greedy institution is one that takes up all of your time and all of your energy and a good chunk of your money. And unfortunately, both the family and the military have been identified as greedy institutions. So there's this idea that it's really hard to be part of both of those things at the same time because they do demand so much of you. So obviously, coming up with ideas for partners that that can support them, make them feel engaged and connected to their communities is then a great way to encourage ongoing enlistment of members. How do essentially people balance those two things, military and family? considering they they don't really go together like you mentioned you know sometimes people don't they do they discharge from the military because it is too hard or you've got people who just make accommodations and and there'd be many many people in the military community who do that defense comes first you know or sometimes defense comes first and sometimes the family has to come first it's a difficult challenge to, to balance on a daily basis and like you mentioned in your article partners influence mission readiness and the ability for a member to be capable to deploy quickly i think the same also goes for spouse being willing to move or go member with dependent unaccompanied feeling supported and part of something allows spouses to go into deployments and moves and changes in circumstances with more of a positive and willing attitude would you agree with that absolutely and there's actually some research out of the u.s that confirms that the member is actually in a in a good partnership and 
a good, stable, loving relationship, they're less likely to have some serious mental health impacts. And the way that they have a good, stable, loving relationship is when they can, I guess, balance military and family, but also that that overall support is there from defence for both the member and the family. And I think, you know, employment plays a critical role in that. And that's something Defence Families of Australia um, and some great researchers are starting to look at is how do we support military partners into employment because there's some great outcomes about uh, how employment makes our lives better and how it helps us to cope with things but also I think it helps us push back against this perfect partner ideal being that the perfect partner you know is this woman who stays at home with young kids and she's just happy and compliant and, and moves around if partners are employed and employed in good jobs that are well linked to their actual ability that helps us to really build this idea of a partner who's who's modern and intelligent and, and, you know, like people actually are. Also, employment comes back to having that sense of purpose aside from home life, also being independent and contributing to the household. And as far as building your super for when you retire, like it comes down to so many aspects of life and really does impact you greatly. Absolutely. You know, there's some great research out there about not just military partner employment, but employment in general and the great things that it does for us. Obviously, we're not saying that, you know, what's on offer is a complete waste of time. We're saying that what's on offer is great, but it can always be improved. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we also probably do need a little bit more advertisement. There's some great programs around that, um, unfortunately, just we, no one seems to know about. And we don't have any kind of real central repository of information so that spouses can, can go and get that. I do know that some places like DFA and DFCO have been working hard on that, about getting better communication so that people can get access to that information. But yeah, we can still do a lot better in that space. But like you mentioned in your article, it comes back to that information is often being passed on by the member because they are the ones that get the information, but also it's not being passed on by the member. So I guess there needs to be a better system for people to be able to access that information. It was one of the specific questions I asked my participants. I said, you know, where do you get information about defence from? And they listed a whole bunch of places, uh, notably didn't list the member. So I specifically said, oh, what about, what about your spouse? Do you get information from the ADF member? And in one particular group, they actually laughed back at me. And, and just said, <laughs> they just said, I get it from all of these places way before I get it from the member. And look, that's where ADF members are busy. They have a really important job. We can understand that maybe they're not so good at passing this information home, but it does mean we need better connections between the actual defence force and partners directly, which comes with some unique challenges. And there's some um, initiatives like ForceNet that have come out to try and um, attempt that. So hopefully we'll see some good movement in that space. Yeah, that's very new. And hopefully that will become the hub where we can access all that information in one magical place. Look, um, you know, I, I really want ForceNet to succeed. I think it's got some significant challenges in its way, in the way that people can access that it's definitely going to be harder to access that than let's say Facebook where it's a bit freer and it's a one-stop shop you do have to be a bit more intentional about Forcenet but it has the potential to, to really change the game I do think one of the key good points about Forcenet is you can actually go in and sign up and it will send an email to your partner so that they just have to click the link 
Um, so you don't actually have to ask your partner to go searching for that information or to go and find anything for you. You can kind of kick off that process on your own end. That was a later feature that was added. So kind of I have a lot of praise for whoever in the pipeline realized that getting members to initiate the process would fail. So that was a really great addition to decide to allow partners to kick off the process. So yeah, you can log on to the Forcenet site and sign up and it will send an email off to the members saying, hey, your partner wants access. Can you click this link? And just coming back to the fact that when you asked your participants about getting information from the member and they laughed at you, (laughs) um, I mean, the member is coming at it from a totally different aspect. They're not having the experience that we're having as a spouse and we're not having the experience that they're having as a member. So they've got their own challenges and things that they're obviously focusing on. They've got a job to do. And we've also got our own aspects and and challenges that we're focusing on. So I guess you can't blame the member, but just got to understand that we're both living different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think, you know, they're probably scrolling through and they see something about it, coffee morning, and it doesn't even click that you might be interested, you know, and they just scroll on past. There's good reasons why the member isn't very good at passing on information. And I do think it's better than, let's say, even five years ago, where it was very focused on the ADF member being responsible for passing all of that on. We have reached a point where your spouses have more direct avenues of information. As a defence spouse, and I know that I've made various sacrifices, whether it be within my career or home life. And you mentioned in your article that partners pay a significant cost for their military connections. Can you talk about those costs that military spouses have? We do know, um, based on research, what limited research we have in Australia, but also internationally, that you know there is a massive impact of military service on partners. So while partners are resilient and they work really hard to cope, you know there are some real challenges. So we know about, let's say, partners that are high risk of depression, anxiety, and heightened stress than the broader Australian community. We also know that in particular in Australia, partners encounter additional stress because of our geography. So, you know, when you're going to a regional or rural posting, you know, you're further away from family support networks or specialist educational or medical support, perhaps, you know, different climate conditions, and that places additional stress on the family. So there's there's some really great documented impacts of, of military service. One study in the US actually found that military partners partners have stress levels similar to military members. It's just that partners are actually more likely to seek support for their mental health care, which is brilliant, but actually, yeah, shows us that when the member is deployed, um, you know, it has a significant impact on the spouse as well. So what stage at the moment is your research at? Yeah, so I've um, I finished the uh, the major study about members, uh, partners, sorry, and social media. And so kind of in the process of talking about that research and what we can do based off that, uh, and then continuing to look at other opportunities so as I said particularly employment is an area of focus at the moment and continuing to really ask that question of what is the community what do people actually need and how can we build that community in Australia what do you hope will come from your research what would be your ideal outcome I think the ideal outcome for me personally is that the broader Australian community gets a better idea about our kind of defense community and what happens so I know uh, personally we were posted to Perth for four and a half years Perth that has a strong fly and fly out community there and you know it really opened my eyes to how people in the broader Australian community just really have very little idea about what it's like to be a military partner so I remember my partner was away for five five and a half months and he came back and everyone said oh it's great that he's going to be home now and I thought well what do you mean he goes back to work on Monday and they were shocked they actually thought that if he was away for five months he'd then be home for five months and have five months off <laughs> um, so thought, yeah look it's it's hard to be 
away for five months, but then you get him home for the rest of the year. Isn't that amazing? And it's just oh my like, goodness. No, that's not how this works. Or again, you know, I've heard stories of partners being told, oh, why are you complaining? You get free housing and free childcare. And favorite one is that the Air Force flies us around whenever we need to go places. So, oh my goodness. You know, I know. I keep trying to call a jet. Um, and we have some <laughs> friends at the moment who are in the Air Force. And I keep joking to them like, oh, I need to get to Sydney for the weekend. Are you available? Still waiting for those free mortgage payments. <laughs> still waiting for those. Still waiting for the free childcare. Still waiting for all of that. But I, I do think it feeds this kind of image that, yeah, that we're whining because we get all these great benefits. Um, and it's actually just people really don't know about what their life is like. So I'm really, I'm really keen to promote partners as someone of need and people who work really hard but also have some unique needs in our community. And in the end, this is only to benefit everyone, really. It's to benefit the member, to benefit the spouses, to benefit defence and to obviously help with capability. And that's the goal everyone's working towards. Um, part of what we're trying to do is move it a little bit outside of that defence space. There's kind of this mentality, I suppose, in the broader community that um, the military is insular and just looks after itself. And actually, we're trying to make a point that, you know, if you look after military partners, you know, those are people who are in your communities, they're in your workplaces, you know, and if you make life better for them in your community, that has great impacts for, for everybody. The highlight of the research for me was traveling around the country and talking to different spouses and actually hearing the same thing from an Air Force spouse in Darwin as from you know, an army partner in Brisbane and a Navy partner in Perth and actually realizing that although everyone's experiences are quite unique, they're also very much the same and, and we really do share this common experience. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Amy. I'm loving reading all your research and I can't wait to see what you uncover next and hopefully it has an impact on the way we support and see defence spouses. Thank you so much for having me. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 